What do Matt Walsh, Kirk Cameron, Carl Truman, and J.R.R. Tolkien have in common? Welcome to Grassfed and Graceled, and today I'm doing something a little bit different. I wanted to review a couple documentaries and a couple books that I've recently seen and read, and um, I just thought it would be helpful to some of you to kind of hear my thoughts on that, and if you haven't already seen these documentaries or read these books, maybe it would pique an interest for you, or you can decide whether or not you would want to go ahead and um, see it. One of the documentaries specifically that I'm talking about is the Daily Wire and Matt Walsh's new documentary, What is a Woman? Um, many of you have probably already heard of this documentary before. Many of you have probably already seen it, but I just kind of wanted to give you my thoughts and reflections on this documentary and recommend whether or not I think you should see it. And I did want to briefly mention another one that I saw this past week and that was uh, Kirk Cameron's The Homeschool Awakening. And unfortunately, that one was only out in theaters two days. And I've yet to find any information on how else you're able to watch it after that. They only did it in theaters for two days. So I'm assuming it'll probably be streaming somewhere or you might be able to buy the DVD at some point. I don't, I can't imagine why they would make a documentary that you can only watch for two days and then that's it. But I haven't been able to find where you can do that. So I will briefly talk about that here in a moment. And then I also, after I talk about um, what is a woman, I wanted to briefly review two books that I recently finished. And the first book is A Strange New World by Carl Truman. And then um, a new one, I actually just read it yesterday, and it's not actually a new book, but it's new to me, um, but I just read it yesterday, and it's from uh, Donald Williams, and it's An Encouraging Thought, The Christian Worldview in the Writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. So um, it might seem kind of out of place if, you, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, uh, then you would know that J.R.R. Tolkien is the author of those books. That might seem kind of like an odd addition to this lineup, but there is a connection there, and so I wanted to go ahead and include that book in with this review. So first off, I'm going to start here with The Homeschool Awakening. Now, it was kind of funny, like, um, I think I had seen some uh, promotions for it before. I didn't really know what it was. I knew it was Kirk Cameron talking about homeschooling, so I wasn't sure, but I was invited uh, by a friend to go see it together and so we, we went with a group of ladies, uh, fellow homeschool moms, and we went and saw this documentary while it was in theaters last week. And um, you know it was kind of funny like I was making jokes about going to see Left Behind 2 or whatever because Kurt Cameron was in the Left Behind movies uh, many moons ago it seems like. And in some sense I wasn't super thrilled just because um, you know I'm not like a big fan of kind of like the cheesy uh, Christianese type films. Some of them are really well done, but some of them can be real corny, and I was hoping it wouldn't be that. But it really wasn't badly done, and um, it was a really nice uh, documentary. I loved many things about it. I would definitely encourage you to see it. That's why I was looking to see how people can can go watch it now. 
Um, the things that I liked about it were, well, there was quite a few things, but just a couple brief points. One, I liked how they just kind of mentioned some of the myths and misconceptions of homeschooling. Uh, you know, the lack of socialization and that it's like maybe, you know, public school at home and might be really dry and boring or that you're not qualified or able to homeschool your children. And they address all those things really well in the documentary as a myth or misconception. There's plenty of socialization in homeschooling that you are qualified, you're probably the most qualified person to teach your child, that it doesn't have to be like public school at home. I loved how throughout the documentary they showed many different forms of homeschooling, and I know that it wasn't as broad and inclusive as it could have been, but I mean, it is a documentary you can only cram so much into an hour and a half of your time. But they covered a lot of different methods that people do. Like some of them were working parents that were homeschooling. Some of them were just the one parent homeschooling. Some of them were homeschooling in co-ops. Some of them were more like world school homeschoolers that traveled because their jobs enabled them to do that, where they were on the road living out of an RV for a period of time. Like there's a lot of really different um, viewpoints there and I think that was really enriching and one of the takeaways actually that the the ladies that I went with that we all kind of talked about is that the neat thing about homeschooling is that it's not one size fits all. That's one of the perks and sometimes the reason that many of us end up homeschooling our kids is, you know, they're not thriving well in the school environment and um, it's just neat that homeschooling can be so unique to each family and each child you're you're given that freedom to work with what works for your family and what your child needs to learn and grow i loved the emphasis on teaching your children to love learning that is something that i have been focusing on with my kids you know they did generally enjoy public school my kids were in public school for for a few years in elementary and they did generally enjoy it, but I think they only liked it because of their friends. And they had great teachers. Like, you know, this homes for me, the the desire to encourage people to homeschool is not because I think, you know, that all teachers are evil. I have many friends that are teachers, and many of my children's teachers were lovely and fantastic. But the reality is, is that many of them are overwhelmed, they are overburdened, they are overtasked, and they are working in a system that just no longer really puts children first, especially as individuals. So, you know, my kids were falling behind in, in a few ways, you know, in math and reading and different things like that. And if you don't have a certain type of learning style, then you're really going to struggle with um, learning in a one-size-fits-all type scenario, and I just loved how the documentary addressed that and it really encouraged parents that they can teach their children and that they can encourage them to love learning because really learning is a lifelong skill, and the most important thing you can do is teach your children to love it, not only how to learn, but to love to learn, and then the what kind of comes later with that. You know, they continue to learn many, many what's if they love to learn. So I really like the documentary. I think it was pretty well done. Um, there's only a few minor things that I didn't really care for, but nothing enough even noteworthy necessarily. 
Um, sure, it could have had more detail, but I think it was a good springboard and it gives people a lot of food for thought, especially if you're looking into homeschooling and considering it. It might open your eyes to um, the possibilities and the methods and all the neat things. And then if you are already a homeschooler, I find that's very encouraging and it really does a good job of motivating you to continue doing what you're doing and maybe change a few things that you're, you know, doing already that maybe aren't working. It, that was neat too. They had a few experts in there as well that had some resources that I think will be really beneficial and helpful. So um, as far as that goes, I think that was great. And I love that it's kind of, um, you know, kind of encased in this concept of who really should, who has the right you know, to teach the children? Is it the government or is it the parents? And that's kind of the the big question there in society. And especially the way things are going right now in the world, a lot of Christian parents in particular are really concerned about the curriculum and the um, just what is going on in the education system. You know, it seems it's a big mess out there. You know, a lot of parents are really concerned about it. And I really do think that's why homeschooling has blown up as large as it did. And I think even COVID was a wake up call for a lot of us. I know it was for me. Um, but there's a lot of different reasons, you know, that people come to homeschooling and it's not just Christians, of course, but I think we, as Christians, we have a particular, um, you know, motivation to make sure that our children are trained up in the way that they should go. And, who better to do that than their own parents and learn a, uh, learn alongside them as well. So great uh, little documentary there. Um, and then that moves to this documentary on the Daily Wire, which I had to subscribe to. I wasn't already subscribed, but I su- subscribed for a month so that I could watch this documentary. I've been really fascinated by this topic. I've read a few books. I'm currently reading Nancy Piercy's Love Thy Body which um, touches on this topic as well. She's brilliant and it's a fantastic book, but I didn't finish that book yet, so I'm not reviewing it. I'm just telling you that I'm liking it right now. Um, But yes, this documentary, What is a Woman? Now, I will warn you that, you know, if you're not familiar, but you probably are, but if you're not, it's dealing with, you know, the topic of uh, transgenderism and uh, that type of issue with sexuality and stuff like that. So obviously the topic here, the subject here, um, a very mature audience, obviously in view here. I mean, you're, you're really dealing with, uh, sexual words, topics, um, body parts, things like that. So a warning for your parents if you're listening and you don't want your kids, you know, to hear some of this type of stuff. I'm not going to say all the things that are said in the documentary, but I will discuss uh, briefly just so you kind of have an understanding of of what goes on um, in the documentary. He interviews a few different people, experts, quote unquote, in their fields from pediatricians to uh, therapists to advocates, politicians, professors, uh, psychologists, and what have you, and and people themselves that identify in these different areas. And, you know, I do recommend this documentary for the majority of people that, you know, are alive (laughs) in this world. As far as, like, especially adults, 
Um, you know, I would say as a parent, you will want to watch this first and then determine whether or not you want your children, even teens, to see it. I do think that my eldest son could handle a lot of this material, partly because, you know, let's face it, this is the world that he's living in, and and I'm not trying to shelter him from it. There's a level of protection that I do want to give my kids, but as they get older, you know, this is the generation that they're growing up into, and I don't want to hide that from them. That's not beneficial to them at all. And it's a concern, and I, I want them to be able to process this through, um, you know, biblical truth and in their own minds and rationale and, and learn how to look at this whole crazy world. I mean, literally, I was watching this documentary, and I felt like in some interviews my brain was melting from the lack of just logic coming from um, the other view on these things. And there's such a resistance to objective truth in in this documentary and in this conversation of gender and uh, sexuality and um, it can be really mind-boggling and my husband and I both like agreed that we had no idea how pervasive this issue is you know you kind of at least we thought of it kind of behind closed doors you know certain communities or whatever but this whole, you know, subjective view of what even being a woman is, it, I mean, Matt Walsh at certain points goes to women's marches and asks uh, the women in the march, what is a woman? And they would be like, I don't know. That's a really hard question. You know, I don't know how to answer that. And I was just, my mind was just boggled as the fact that people can't, won't, is really, I think, the deal here. They won't answer that question because they know to answer in any sort of um, objective way, essentialist way, as one of the professors in the documentary mentions, is to um, bring a lot of fire down on them from the current push of the culture in accepting and and welcoming all of this conversation. So it it does really cover a lot of um, deep things. There are some levels of nudity in there. At one point, he interviews some people in San Francisco where there's two men that are basically completely naked except for something on their member, if you will, and it covers that, but, like, barely. So that's in there. It's not like full in view, but it's there. Um, there's some really troubling, uh, discussion. I mean, it's good to know, like we have to know this, but it's awful. Just the discussion on the origination of the, uh, sex change surgeries like Dr. Money and where that research came from and how it was done. I mean, like, sex research on very young children and how that resulted um, very detrimentally to these uh, people that were essentially experimented on as babies and children. And so there's that, there's, you know, Kinsey and his, um, his work in the field of 
kind of this open sexuality discussion here and a lot of really troubling stuff that is mentioned there and disturbing, but I would say very important, um, especially as a parent, but I think just the more people that are aware of this, the better, because it just really is um, so pervasive in our culture. But what I think is awesome and brilliant about what Matt Walsh did in this documentary is he goes to a tribe in Africa, and he talks to them and asks some of these questions about what's going on, and it was just hilarious that these, these African tribesmen, like, they they just didn't even have categories for this. Like, their mind was like, it just doesn't happen. This is just not even the things that you're asking me, the things that you're asking us, like, that's just not, it's just not, it doesn't happen. That's what it is. And they seem to see it in such a more basic way. But what I love about that is that there's also this, you know, message in the same kind of circles that we can't be, you know, xenophobic and afraid of our culture and it's all just white supremacy and it's all this that and the other and yet you see a tribe in Africa it's very simple for them and they haven't they haven't done what we have done in our modern cultures um, to the idea of personhood and sexual identity and all that kind of stuff so that was I think a brilliant move in his documentary and I would definitely recommend it I think it's important to see I think he does a good job of showing kind of the absurdity in this movement, you know, the resistance to truth. At one point, he interviews a professor of, gen- like, women's studies and gender, like, women and gender studies or something, and he asks, he's he's trying to get them to a- answer the question, what is a woman? And he won't answer it without saying it's whoever's a woman, whoever identifies as a woman, and he wants them to say, well, what is that, though? Like, you keep saying woman in your definition, but what is a woman? And so at one point, he finally gets him, he tries to say, I just want to know what the truth is. And as soon as he says truth, this professor, like, just is beside himself with disgust. And in fact, he tells him, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. And he threatens to cut off the interview very shortly and he says that he's really uncomfortable with that language and you can see that they just do despise the concept of objective truth and um, that's just like an attack on this whole ideology and they don't want to talk about it so I really like that if you're having those types of discussions at home or you know, in your church or your local family, you know, this objective truth view here. Um, that's really important, of course, obviously, coming from the Christian worldview. We do believe in objective truth, and we do believe that objective truth has something to do with morals and morality. It's not just science and math and, you know, tangible material things, but we also do believe that it has to do also with morals. Um, it's not you know, morality is subjective. Ultimately, like we can have subjective morality, but there is a objective moral truth in the world. And that is what comes from God because God defines what is good, right? And so anyways, that's the kind of conversations we should be having. I think this documentary adds 
a lot to it. I would say that if you're comfortable with this type of discussion, the maturity level of it, um, I would recommend it. But again, if you're a parent or you have, you know, young children, even teens, I would watch it first and then go from there and evaluate whether or not you want your children to watch it with you or maybe certain parts only or how you would structure the conversation. But I, I do think it would be beneficial even for um, teens with discretion, you know, to see that. So certainly evaluate it for your own family, your own circumstance. Um, but I, I do think it's very helpful. So related to that, though, is this book that I mentioned is by uh, Dr. Carl Truman. And it's A Strange New World. The subtitle here is How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. This is actually a smaller, more concise, more um, accessible version of his bigger, larger work that I actually have not yet read, but I do want to now that I read this, which was The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And so he kind of condensed it down and made it a bit more accessible. So if you're not super academic, this would be the book for you. Um, he's actually interviewed in What is a Woman, in the Matt Walsh documentary. He's, you know, towards the end of the documentary there, he is interviewed. And he does a fantastic job of tracing out the development of this identity philosophy that is so pervasive right now, where it, com where it comes from, rooting it, you know, in the rope romanticist movement, enlightenment thinking, you know, Marxism, all that, all of that, and the main thinkers of our day and time, and how this all translated into where we are now. And I think it's just so, in a sense, refreshing, because he starts out the book, you know, even addressing this, but so many of us that are still rooted in, in more of a, um, traditional, I guess you could say modern, modernist type approach. It, this whole like relativistic, uh, different identity, like there is no objective truth, reality, your truth is your truth. Like that can be very mind boggling for a lot of us. And generations ago, like these conversations, they just didn't even happen, but now they're happening and they're very prevalent. And he even addresses the topic, you know, of of even just the suppression of free speech that we're encountering and, and different things like that. Things that seemed so, well, we called them, you know, inalienable rights and they were in our constitution, uh, free speech, free religion, all this stuff that is under attack now in order for this type of ideology and the sexual revolution to push forward. And it can leave many of us feeling very stumped, scratching our heads and wondering, how did we get here? I'm super confused. And many, many answers have been given out there. And I think it is a, is a large conversation to have. It's not just any one thing, but Carl Truman does a really great job of tracing it out through the different philosophical systems and how that has actually influenced what he labels at the beginning of his book as the quote unquote, quote unquote, social imaginary. Now, that might sound like a crazy word for you or a phrase, but it's just the idea of instead of us consciously thinking about things like our identity and what is right and wrong and, and how we express ourselves and how much freedom we should have in expressing ourselves, it's more of this kind of 
like group thought, which is called the social imaginary in the book, and he defines it. And it explains why, um, you know, we can think the things that we do without actually consciously thinking about it. So here he has this definition. The social imaginary is that common understanding which makes possible common practices and a widely shared sense of legitimacy. He says, what Taylor's pointing out to here, which is the guy that coined the phrase social imaginary, is the fact that human beings do not typically think about themselves and the world they inhabit in consistently self-conscious terms. Rather, we imagine it to be in certain ways, physically and indeed morally. So there's an element that we all kind of have this idea of, of what, you know, what's the purpose? Oh, we should be free to be who we are and all that kind of stuff. But where does that come from? Because not all cultures actually think that way and historically, as well as in other cultures around the world. And where does that come from? So he develops that thought and how it developed over time to get where we are now. And I think it's just really important and it's fantastic and it's lightning and it's very helpful for you to be able to process how the world is the way it is. And then he also comes with some level of solution towards the end of this book on how we can, now that we know how we got here and why certain things like even free speech can be even labeled as a dangerous, um, you know, tool that can cause quote unquote violence to people with even our words. And he traces that out in his book as well. And I think that's just something that a lot of us wonder and are uh, skeptical about and suspicious. And it's led to a lot of, you know, kind of conspiracy stuff. But true or not, in terms of those things, um, I do think that this book really does kind of track and trace out a lot of how that came to be. So I highly recommend it for pretty much anyone. You know, I think high school, my kids will be reading this in high school for sure, which is right around the corner for me. And um, we will definitely be talking about the. Of course, there's some mature content in that as well. I mean, you're talking about sexual revolution. So there are some, some mature content uh, areas in there. But overall, you know, I think if... Um, you're really kind of wondering about this. I think it's just a really important read. I would recommend it to just about any adult, especially um, finding themselves in this crazy world we live in, in this strange new world that we live in. So I definitely recommend that. Towards the end of his book, I love that he emphasizes the importance of identity communities. He talks a bit about how you know, our identity has changed and what we identify and how we identify over time. You know, we're not as nationalistic as we used to be. And that's partly why this movement of the LGBTQ plus community is growing on like TikTok and different things like that, because they're finding this quote unquote community of like-minded people and, and even people who weren't initially there find themselves. That's also discussed in the documentary of what is a woman that they weren't in that um, community, so to speak, but then they found this kind of sense of belonging and were kind of encouraged into it. Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that it's growing and becoming so prevalent. And so as Christians, it's also important that we are rooted in our identity, in our community, and being true to who we are called to be as Christians and being very countercultural, not just protesting, you know, on the streets, 
you know, some people can do that. Sure, that's fine. But he really points out at the end of his book that we are best witnesses when we are doing what we are called to do, when we are worshiping God rightly, when we are living consistently with our Christian worldview and having that community and being uh, in fellowship with Christians and worshiping God and doing all that. So I really like how this book ended. It was a pretty simple read. Uh, There's questions at the end of each chapter for discussion. And so it could function pretty well in like a small group setting or just yourself for reflection. Um, So I do, I highly recommend this book. I think it was great. Now, lastly, but not leastly, (laughs) was this An Encouraging Thought by Donald T. Williams. And this dealt with, and this is how it's connected, I said just a bit ago, the Christian worldview. And you might not be familiar with a Christian worldview. Um, Maybe you are, but if you're not, you're about to be. I'm going to quote this book here in a second about Christian worldview. But what he is mainly talking about is, obviously, the Christian worldview of Tolkien. You know, Tolkien was a Catholic, Roman Catholic. So he had familiarity with the scripture and the Bible, you know, God, the one God, the triune God creating the objective truth of good and evil, that good is ultimately, it's not just this dualistic kind of uh, Star Wars force, you know, kind of uh, impersonal force here, but that there is a personal God. And so he, he goes through that book and explains it really well, but he's dealing with the fact that Uh, Tolkien's books are rooted on that basic assumption. Now, it's not outright. He doesn't come out and say it in his books very clearly, and, and that's okay, but he says underlying that this, um, you know, these series of books, this world that he created is founded on that, and why Tolkien, or why the books are so important, are so amazing, and, um, like immerseful like I just love I love these books I'm kind of new actually to the books I watched the movies but only more recently it started reading them and yeah like it just opens up this whole world but why it's so kind of real even though you know it's not in his view is because it's rooted in this Christian worldview that it's very real like but it's also fantastical in its own element. So it's, in a sense, you can actually imagine being there because it's so true, but it's also fantastical. There's bigger, you know, wider elements than we can even imagine. He does a really good job. I can't cover everything here. My episode is already almost, oh, it's over 30 minutes right now. So I'm in a hurry. But I just wanted to say, you know, here's his definition of the Christian worldview. I won't even say the definition. His explanation here is that the Christian faith is not just a story we tell ourselves on Sunday to make us feel better. It is real truth about the world, historically, factually, and metaphysically. If it isn't, it is worthless. To say that Christianity is a worldview is to say that it is not just a set of beliefs one happens to hold as part of one's religion, but it is a unified way of looking at the world in the light of those beliefs held as true. It takes their basic motifs, such as creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, not just as ideas we happen to believe in, but as realities that are foundational to all other beliefs about the world that we might hold. Thus, Christian doctrine is not just a way of organizing our religious feelings. 
It is the key that fits the lock of the world around us. It is what lets us understand it in the light of its meaning, purpose, and destiny. It organizes and focuses all our responses, not just our emotions, so they are definitely not left out, to what we see and experience. It informs our understanding, energizes our wills, and directs our choices about every aspect of life, not just our religion, on every day of the week, not just on Sunday. So, awesome definition and explanation of a Christian worldview there in a nutshell, but that is what this book is full of, and I loved it, and it applies to what I already talked about because it deals with the Christian worldview, the truthfulness, the meaningfulness, how it can uh, permeate all of our lives, and I'm super passionate about the Christian worldview and holding it consistently in our life and, and growing and becoming more and more consistent which, of course, you have to know biblical truths to have a consistent biblical worldview. Um, But he shows how this consistency in this worldview really creates this lovely, fantastical realm of Middle Earth and how he bases that and the the symbolisms there and different discussions on it, including, you know, the language that Tolkien created for his different uh, groups and... It's just, if you're a huge, like, uh, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit fan, Tolkien fan, I highly recommend this book. I think it's a good read. Whether or not you walk away, like, agreeing with everything that he said, I think it adds to the conversation. I think it helps us process a little bit more thoughtfully what we're taking in and reading. I loved how at the beginning he, he explained how these books had an impact on his own Christian doubts you know as a high schooler he was beginning to doubt his faith because the people in his church weren't offering him any substantive uh, defense of the faith when he had questions they would just oh you just have to believe it if you're doubting then you're just not a strong believer and you know I'm a huge apologetics fan I think that's a terrible way to answer somebody because we don't just have an emotional you know light airy you know fairy dust faith it's rooted in truth and it's rooted in reality and it's a thoughtful faith it uses our mind science all of this stuff points to god so you can have a uh, rational faith about this and so I'm, i'm a huge advocate for learning how to know that defend that uh, teach that to your children study it for yourself. It strengthens your faith. It strengthens the confidence. We can have a rational, logical faith in the Christian worldview because it is what's true and necessary for our world to exist as it is. So that was a really cool tie-in because I love Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure that if I had a choice, I would want to be an elf. Even though I'm a horse person, you know, I could probably fit, you know, in Rohan pretty well, but I just want to be an elf because I want to be light on my feet and I want to have really cool like eyesight and I want to be able to not sleep all the time. (laughs) But that's what's so cool about these stories is that if you're really into them, you just kind of feel like you want to live in them. And he does a really good job of explaining why that is and why it also can help inspire our Christian faith and um, just our overall Christian worldview and seeing the world through those eyes and being creative in the way that God made us. And I love that about this book. So 
I recommend all of these things. I will add links to them in my uh, show notes there so that you can find them and uh, learn more about them, hopefully acquire them or watch them or read them for yourself. Definitely recommend every single one of them. Thank you for listening. Sorry this went so long. I will catch you next time. I hope that you will remain grass-fed and grace-led. God bless.